Velasquez, uh, he was effectively wild, let's put it that way. Walked four guys and uh, pitched well, well enough to win. Morning and welcome to episode 874. So somber. Of Effectively Wild Daily Podcasts for Baseball Prospectus. Brought to you by the Play Index at baseballreference.com and our supporters at Patreon. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538.com. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? More excited than you, apparently. Yeah. It's book release week. It you is. Get excited. I am excited. <laughs> okay. You're saving it for the official release date, which is tomorrow. No, I'm not. This is you excited. Nope. I, I'm compartmentalizing my life, Ben. It doesn't have to sh- come out in my intro to a, the 874th episode of our podcast. Well, our podcast and the book are very tightly intertwined. Uh, do you have any uh, any banter before we go? Well, since our latest Bryce Harper-Mike Trout showdown yeah. on episode 867, April 21st, Bryce Harper, who struck out four times on Sunday, is batting 188. So he has turned back around the corner, or maybe he has turned too many corners, and he has ended up in the wrong direction. Yeah, don't you feel stupid. Yep, we better do another one. Okay, anything else? (laughs) Uh, Well, I figured we could answer perhaps one listener email that was about something that happened this weekend, Okay. since it will never be relevant again. And it's a question from Max, and he says, I attended Friday night's Marlins Brewers game in Milwaukee. A city known for its whiplash cold lake, which according to Sam Miller, no one swims in. In the eighth inning, I don't Don even Mattingly... I don't even know that reference. <laughs> this is that's such a that's such a deep cut that I have no idea what he's talking about. I vaguely remember that one. I think it might have been the avocado episode. In the eighth inning, Don Mattingly made the decision to pull his starter after 116 pitches. Up to that point, the young Adam Conley had thrown seven and two thirds innings of no hit baseball, albeit with four walks. But this isn't another no-hitter slash pull-the-pitcher debate. What's interesting about Mattingly's decision is this. The Marlins were up six runs, so Mattingly went with one of his mediocre pitchers, Jose Urena, 442 career FIP, 1.6 career whip. In short, Mattingly treated it as if it were just another game with a six-run lead. He needed someone to soak up innings. He called the bullpen and asked for the sponge. The Marlins' bullpen wasn't 100% rested. Many of the top arms had been used the previous night in a late game at Dodger Stadium. But looking at box scores over the past few days, the bullpen hadn't been taxed. There were options better than Urena. The Marlins' players certainly looked like they were ready to celebrate the no-hitter. They watched from the railing in the dugout. The bullpen pitchers sat peering out over the outfield wall. From those eager vantages, they saw Jose Urena give up four hits and three runs in an inning of shoddy work. Mattingly was forced to come back out and put in his closer. Does this signify the death of the no-hitter? I know you are not fans of the no-hitter, but if you were in Mattingly's position, would you treat a no-hitter in progress the same as any old game if you were staked to a comfortable lead? And of course, 
He means a combined no-hitter in progress. I'm watching right now the uh, Braves, the last, I think it's the last out of the Braves combined no-hitter in 1991, which is a game that Kent Merker started, uh-huh. and uh, it is now Alejandro Peña in the final out, and I want to see what the uh, level of exuberance is. <laughs> the announcer's really into it, the crowd's really into it, the catch, we got a fist pump, eh, I would say the crowd is definitely into it the players are not uh-huh they're really treating this like it's a normal wow boy the bro- the there's really a disconnect between the broadcast <laughs> and the uh early 90s Braves fans too you do a whole episode on them <laughs> Glenn National League's leading hitter and the pitch plug on fly ball deep left field Nixon back Uh, so anyway, uh, so that was, I was, I was gonna hypothesize that, cause sometime in the 90s, I think it was in the 90s, Major League Baseball declared that no hitter, combined no hitters aren't real. You, uh-huh. used to be that you'd get credit for it. Like your name would be in the record books as having thrown a no hitter. So when you were reading your, uh, baseball trivia book that you got for your birthday, and they would ask you, you know, maybe that, maybe it'd be a trivia question about how many, pitchers had thrown no hitters in the 58 Braves rotation or something like that, you'd have to get the starters who weren't combined no hitters. And so like, that's how Barry, that's how Babe Ruth, for instance, got his, his no hitter as uh, documented in episode 500 of this podcast. But somewhere along the line, they decided all sorts of things. One is that what you, it doesn't count as a no hitter. If it's, I think, I think they, well, they wiped away a bunch. I think it doesn't count as a no hitter. If you, if it gets range shortened, I think, and maybe if you give up, runs or or lose maybe you have to win i can't remember i don't remember what they did but the point is that the combined no hitter used to be a thing like the game winning rbi and now it's not really a thing i don't know if that has anything to do with don mattingly i don't know if any of what i've just said is even true uh but (laughs) it does feel like the combined no hitter is much less cool than it used to be yeah and i think that's that feeling too i think that's sort of fitting too i mean one one of the things that makes a no hitter impressive in this day and age is just like, oh, wow, a guy threw nine innings? Like, right. <laughs> that, like, like, that's enough. Like, you could lead the next day's game story with human being completes ninth inning of baseball game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, like, the, the nut graph would be no hits were allowed. Uh, and, but, so if you're, you know, if you're, if you're just doing, like, the six-inning thing and then the bullpen comes in and shuts it down, I, I wouldn't celebrate it particularly. Uh, now that said, well, two things that said, that said two things. One, it is still surprising to me that Don Mattingly didn't bring in a better reliever. If uh-huh. it were, if it were 15 to nothing, then I could see it almost looks like you're running up the score. But yeah. what was it? 6-1? So you could, you could definitely justify bringing in your, your A team. They had a six run lead at the time. Okay. Two is that a couple weeks ago, I was arguing that the Dodgers should have brought in Kenley Jansen uh, if they were going to pull Ross Stripling out mm-hmm. of his no-hitter. And I think that's a different situation. I think that it's not that you do that because the no-hitter means anything. It's that you do it as a show of respect to the guy that you're pulling. Maybe you can make the same case for Conley, although history was not going to remember Conley because it wasn't his first start. And so it wasn't quite the uh, the same the same sacrifice that he was making in coming out of that game. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. What do you think? Do you disagree with anything I said? No, I think if Max is right about the Marlins players looking excited, I haven't verified that, but if they were really into this, then that alone might be an argument for for treating it more seriously. I mean, I don't know, maybe the team is down because of D Gordon's suspension and suddenly this combined no-hitter potential comes along and maybe you would just give it more credence just kind of as a chemistry thing more than anything else. But I, it doesn't mean much to me. I, I guess if you were the team that is being combined no-hit, it is almost as demoralizing as being no-hit by one person. But it's definitely not the same accomplishment because, yeah, I mean, a lot of the greatness of a no-hitter such as it is, and we're not particularly into no-hitters anyway, but a lot of the degree of difficulty comes from the fact that you are facing the same hitters four times and, you know, there's the penalty and you are tired and if you can bring in a fresh reliever who hasn't seen any of these hitters before that day, then it's significantly easier. Still unlikely, but significantly easier. So yeah, maybe it's a another slight sign of erosion in respect for the no-hitter. I just watched the Astros combined no-hitter from 2003, in which Roy Oswalt had to leave the game with injury, and six pitchers combined. And uh, similar, the uh, announcers were were fairly into this, the crowd was fairly loud, but the final out of the game was uh, accompanied by a mere fist pump and mm-hmm. high five, no hugs, no arms in the air. Yeah, although six pitchers, it, it gets less special with each successive pitcher, right? I mean, in I don't think that it's special to the relievers regardless. Yeah. And so it gets less special for the starter, but uh-huh. the starter's out of the game by this point anyway. The starter's, by definition, not the guy on the, the mound making the last out. So I don't know that it does matter in determining how zestfully the uh-huh. uh, the final out should be celebrated. I, w- I will just one last thing note that a couple years ago, the Angels threw a combined no-hitter and lost to the Dodgers. They lost one to nothing. Jared Weaver and uh, Jose Arredondo uh, combined on the no-hitter. And that achievement, which was a combined no-hitter and a loss, did make it onto the airport <laughs> collage of Angels <laughs> achievements that uh-huh. we discussed uh, in an episode back in February. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just so you know. <laughs> All right. Which may have been updated since then, for all we know. Yeah. Okay. All right. On to the weekend? Yep. All right. So first off, uh, just real quick, Rich Hill threw on Sunday for the A's. He had a very odd start. He went six innings, allowed two hits, two runs. However, he walked four and struck out four. And I tell you what, I definitely saw a box score earlier in the game where through five he had struck out two and walked five. So that was a heck of a sixth <laughs> inning. Yeah. I'll give him credit for that. Really found his release point retroactively. Yeah. yeah. That's the, I don't know, strange that a a, a good quality start, a, a not even a cheap quality start, two-hitter, uh, has me a little bit more pessimistic. But I'm I'm going to go all the way down to three and 39. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so that's one year, one, one million a year, but uh-huh. basically the same. He's now 10 starts into this thing that he's doing. And he has earned the contract already, right? I mean, he has already, if we're doing a a dollars per war 
sort of calculation to figure out whether the one year and six million that the A's spent on him was justified? I mean, he has already probably been worth a war, right? It, de- it depends on your war. And so I can't say, for instance, at baseball perspective, it, it, we, DRA requires, it, it's complicated, but you can't publish DRA too early in the season. You just can't mm-hmm. do it because the numbers are still fluctuating. And so, mm-hmm. like, we don't have a war for him. Uh, at baseball reference, he was at a 0.5 going into the start. So maybe call it 0.6. And then I would say that he hasn't justified it. I'm not sure what the uh, FIP-based war would give him, but he's pretty close. Yeah, FIP-based war. He was at 0.8 going into today, so he's probably uh, just about there. All right. So that, uh, I want to segue that into uh, the topic today, which mm-hmm. was uh, recommended by a listener on yep. Facebook. And uh, do you have it in front of you? Yeah. The listener's name is Maxime Veilleux, and his suggestion was, let's say a 30-day money-back guarantee existed. Which teams would ask for a free agent contract refund? And it's kind of crazy to think that, well, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe we'll find out. But for instance, Jason Hayward signed a nine-year deal, and it's both crazy to think that we would reconsider that deal after 30 days. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, it, depending on how he starts, it's kind of hard not to. I don't know if we'll say that for Hayward, but I, I guess we're probably overreacting if we were to do that. I guess it's probably crazy. But the thing about it is that, you know, by definition, as it's been pointed out many times before, in, in most cases, if you sign a player, as a free agent, the other 29 teams were not willing to offer him that much money. So even if we're not willing to go full winner's curse on this, uh, you could conclude that the margins are fairly small. And uh, that the difference between the guy at that, I mean, you, you probably had to be talked into that price for the guy. His agent probably really had to work you for a few nights of drinking to get you to that price. And so if you are reconsidering that player really to any even moderate degree this early into it, it's probably not that much of an overreaction to say that you'd rather not have him to that contract, right? Yeah. It's not irresponsible. I guess I'm trying to justify maybe some of my answers, but it doesn't seem that irresponsible. Like, I'm not saying that Zach Greinke's terrible or he's not going to be a very good pitcher or that a team wouldn't love to have him. Spoiler, Zach Greinke might come (laughs) up in this. I'm just saying that, that it was already close. That, that's the nature of these. It was already close. And I can think lots of good things about Zach Granke and still think, well, yeah, but maybe at 180 and not at 207. Right? That's not, right. that's not, that doesn't seem bad. No. All right. So, Ben, uh, first, we're going to expand this not just to free agents, but to any move of the offseason. You're going to give me your number one return, number one exchange, number one, uh, whatever we're calling it, mulligan. And then I'm going to give you my number one, and then and then I'm going to prod you on some that neither of us mentioned. Fair? Yes. Good. Go. <laughs> okay. So it is tough to do this in a way that's compelling, I guess, because it's so obviously obvious. the the moves that were that we were down on before anything happened, before the season started, we would be more inclined to say that teams should do over now. Right? I'm, like if, if we I, didn't if we didn't like it on opening day then we're more likely to... I mean, I don't want to just I'm say not, what we yeah. w- would have said at the time of the trade. I'm not coming at it from that perspective. To me, I am granting them the position that they had the day that the ink dried. That I, I'm accepting whatever whatever thought processes 
whatever evaluations that they used. And uh, I am now only adding to that relevant data that we have learned in the last month. Okay. Well, I, I guess you it's could... It's still uh... obvious, though. It was the worst move of the offseason, <laughs> well, and it has gotten, it is the worst move of April on top of are, that. Are we including D. Gordon's five-year extension in the pool of possible moves? Uh, what is that even? It was completed in January. Well, that, I don't think D. Gordon's extension, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that back. I mean, look, you, they were going to pay D. Gordon this year anyway. It's not like they were thinking about cutting D. Gordon. And so they were mm -hmm. already going to lose 80 games, even if this played out exactly the same but with no extension. They were going to lose 80 games. I guess now you have 80 fewer days of service time, so it might have pushed his free agency back slightly. But <laughs> yeah. other than that, I'd still sign him for that deal. I still think he's going to be you know, a very good ball player when he comes back. I still think he's going to be worth having, and I don't think the world's going to hold it against him any more than they hold it against Johnny Peralta or Nelson Cruz or infinity other guys mm -hmm. so no i would you can if you want to take d gordon you can take d gordon Nah, i'm not taking him anyway someone someone would mention if if we didn't mention it but i'm not taking him so i think that there are i think there are two candidates that are equally strong but they are both moves that were much maligned this offseason but i think that even if we are sort of just granting that a move has to look worse than it did at the time that, you know, whatever the team was thinking, you take that as a snapshot and it has to have changed significantly since then. I think even with that condition in place, probably the Vince Velasquez trade has a very strong argument. I, I think that there's, yeah, well, I didn't think you'd pick that, but yeah, there are two answers here and that's definitely one of them. I, I, was it much maligned? I know that we did an episode in which we were. It was not the most maligned, but I think it was less maligned than it would have been probably a decade ago. But, you know, now that every team is trying to get a Super Bowl pen and Super Closers, I think it was less maligned, but there was definitely still a, you know, some maligned. A, a closer for a starter sort of backlash. Yeah, it probably was also less maligned than it would have been if, for instance, Dave Stewart had made it. Yes, perhaps. But yeah, I um, it it really is sort. I mean, look, there's there's two sides to this. One is that Ken Giles has has underperformed, and I think that yes. you can I think you can do this conversation without buying into Ken Giles' struggles at all. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I think that Ken Giles' struggles are troubling. Um, yeah. I'm not convinced I mean, he's, he's... that. Bad in spring training. He's been bad in the season. He is not the closer, which we've talked about. There could be many reasons for that, yeah. but one could be that the Astros think he's worse now. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there are a lot of reasons to to be worried, although he's still, you know, throwing very hard and striking out tons of guys. So, yeah, it's not super scary. Right. He is throwing just as hard as he did. He is striking out tons of guys as he did. Uh, the walks are up a little bit. They're not like what you would consider trouble spot, trouble zone for really, he's not marmaling. Uh, and it's basically four homers and a bad Babbitt, which is, you know, something. He had allowed three homers in 116 career innings, and now he's allowed yeah. four in 10 this yes. year. And it just depends what your philosophy is on that. Mm -hmm. You know, clearly those baseballs were hit hard, and yeah. you don't get them back, and he's to blame for them being hit hard. But we also know that home runs, especially in small samples, are one of the noisiest results, and that if you were to look at XFIP, which the smaller the sample, probably the more justified you would be in looking at something like XFIP, he still looks like a very good pitcher. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, that said, it's hard to imagine that Vince Velazquez couldn't be 
at this point, a dominant reliever. Yes. And at the very worst, like if that is the very worst that you can imagine if he were still an Astro, then they didn't need to trade. They didn't need to make this trade. They didn't need, I mean, Giles has more service time. He's going to be more expensive. And they lost um, Mark Appel in the deal, which maybe Mm -hmm. we don't know exactly how much they mind that, but they lost Thomas Eshelman in the deal. They lost a couple of other guys in the deal. And mm-hmm. so there's, you know, a, a, a real cost to a what looks like a fairly obvious downgrade. Every GM in baseball right now with a... Well, every GM in baseball right now would rather have Vince Velasquez than Ken Giles, right? Yes. And if you had a completely loaded rotation, maybe you even go 11 deep. You just somehow you ended up with 11 awesome starters, but you have a hole in your bullpen and you've got to choose from one of those two, how many of the 30 are taking Velasquez? That's essentially the question that we asked on our it is, off-season right. we did trade an episode analysis on this. episode was, you know, what percentage of Giles would Velasquez be if you were just to make him a reliever? And, and didn't I don't you remember choose... what percentages we said, but... I feel like you chose Velasquez. I definitely thought he was going to be close. Yeah. I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I said it would be a small difference, if any, I think. So... So yeah, if you just had to choose between reliever Velasquez and Giles right now, and you know, assuming you can like never make Velasquez a starter again, he's just locked in as a reliever forever. Sure. I think probably uh, purely on talent, I would say probably still twenty take Giles. Twenty take Giles. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing because right now, look, nobody's nobody's job is certain. And even if your ownership has a great deal of faith in you and sees what, you, sees what you're doing with the franchise and thinks that you're you've got a great process and all that, uh, at some point you you know you need results and um, you know everybody's chair is at least a little bit wobbly. And the Astros are eight and seventeen. We have no idea what their owner's patience is with this. We have no idea wh- how wobbly anybody in that front office's chair is. But it's this weird thing where in f- like it almost matters more how good Velasquez is, well, maybe it doesn't matter more, but to a huge degree, the security of Jeff Lunau's job might be dependent on Vince Velasquez not being good, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. It's a, well, yeah, I mean, like, it has nothing fortunes to do. have totally diverged from what we expected for them this season since that trade. The Phillies are 15 and 10, the Astros are 8 and 17. It seems as if they've sort of swapped places as far as preseason expectations. Yeah, I guess it's the same with like the, you know, with the Orioles and Arietta where like they're in a different league, they're in a different division, they're in totally different, you know, universes, ecosystems. And yet, it's just got to just be the worst thing in the world for your own feeling of job security to watch Jake Arietta go out there every day yeah. and shove. Mhm. Anyway, yeah, I uh definitely think the Astros would take that one back if there was a 30-day money back guarantee. Yep. However, Shelby Miller. Yes. <laughs> That's so next. bad. So bad. So bad. <laughs> Shelby yeah. Miller now. And I, I think I didn't choose that one just because it was probably the most maligned move of the offseason and more maligned than the Giles Velasquez deal. And so it it had to get worse since then compared to the Velasquez Giles trade to make this list. But it did. But it did. <laughs> he's thrown he's thrown twenty-three innings. He has 19 strikeouts and 19 walks. Mm-hmm. He entered the start Sunday having allowed three homers per nine. 
he mm-hmm. he might he had that finger thing where you watched that did you see the did you see that when it happened you mean how he hits the mound with his hand when he's finishing his yeah yeah exactly so his his follow through his his finger scraped the mound a couple of times and it hurt his finger and you watch that and you think oh my gosh did we just watch a career end like can because what do you do if that yeah. if that's happening i don't know i don't like now you're in your head right it either mm-hmm. might happen again or you have to adjust to keep it from happening again. I have no idea if it's in his mind at all, but it's in mine every time he goes out there. And uh, he's been, I mean, you know, this is one of those things where uh, we all didn't like the trade because we thought that Shelby Miller was going to put up a 3.8 ERA. None of us saw him putting up an ERA, you know, approaching 10, which is right. what it is through six starts. And meanwhile, Part of the justification for trading Ender Inciarte, who in a vacuum projected to maybe be as valuable to a major league team as Shelby Miller did by War Warp, was that, well, yeah, but they don't really need a center fielder because uh-huh. they had A.J. Pollock. And <laughs> right. now Inciarte has been injured for much of April as well, but they need a center fielder now. And mm-hmm. so that didn't work out. Like, even if you were... if. If this trade were only about this year, and it were only about Miller versus Inciarte, I think you could have kind of made a case for Inciarte from the start, although I don't think most people would, and frankly, I probably wouldn't have either. I don't really buy it, but pretty close, and now I think it's fairly obvious. I mean, if Shelby Miller were uh, not Shelby Miller, if he hadn't come at a great cost, and if he didn't have a track record as, as being fairly famous, he would be, he would be optioned right now he would be being sent to triple a yeah not to mention the other players in that deal yeah well Aaron blair <laughs> who went from the diamondbacks to the braves and has is, already made his big league debut and pitched a couple times yes hasn't been great but better than he's miller been a heck of a lot better than shelby miller yeah and dansby swanson who was of course the number one pick and the big prospect coming back to the braves in that trade was great at high A, which was a promotion from last season, and has already been bumped up to double A. Is that right? So, yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See, I didn't even know that last part. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> In, I mean, you could make a case that, I mean, this was a this was a trade that was for, for the present, right? Like, Miller's mm-hmm. locked up for a few years, but this was very much a, our window is now, we need this guy in our rotation. We need a horse. We need a postseason starter. We need a, to send a message that we're in this. We need it for now. And you could make a case that the now year could be the worst of the whole deal. Like they could lose this. They could lose. They could miss the playoffs this year because of this deal. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's early. Obviously, no team in the NL West is over 500. And, Arizona is just a game and a half back and maybe Miller fixes his mechanical issues and is fine for the rest of the season and it looks different in September. But but yeah, I mean, it, it was a move that uh, everyone hated at the time. And if we had known what we know now, we would have amazingly hated it much, much more. So. Yeah, I hate that. See, I hate it when it works out this way, though, because now we're all going to be so proud of ourselves for yeah. hating it at the time. <laughs> but we did not see this coming. No, like we we were not on Shelby Miller's collapse. And we'll like it was the same with Josh Hamilton, where we were all so proud of ourselves for hating the Josh Hamilton deal. But nobody saw Josh Hamilton being that bad. And in fact, we missed on 
Josh Hamilton and we missed on Shelby Miller by as much, you know, by actually a lot greater margin than we thought that Dave Stewart was missing on Shelby Miller. Yes. Like, wait, like it beat us and Sh- us and Dave Stewart were like probably six, six tenths of a run apart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, this, <laughs> this guy thinks he's a 3.2 ERA pitcher. He's a 3.8. <laughs> ERA pitcher. I'm very confident. I know baseball. Yeah. And in fact, he's a, what is it now? A million. He's now a million <laughs> ERA pitcher. He is now a 8.49. Went down today, Ben. Ben, it went <laughs> down today. He went three and two thirds and allowed three runs, all earned on four hits, four walks, and improved his ERA. Uh, not good. All right. All right. So those are the, the obvious. All right. What are the less obvious? All right. Uh, so let's see. Zach Granke. Mm. Granke, here's the case. Here's the case for for getting your money back on Granke. He hasn't been very, you know, he hasn't been very good. He's got a 5.5 ERA. He's got a 3.7 FIP. His strikeouts are 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 down from his last two years. His walks are up a little. He's given up a bunch of home runs. He's getting babbipped to death. And he currently leads the National League in hits allowed and runs allowed. And, you know, just hasn't... Look, he's got a 5.5 ERA. That's not that good, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the case for uh, how good Granky was. Even if you include those six very bad starts that I just described, over the last two years, he's got a 2.21 ERA, <laughs> including uh-huh. those six. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so you could make the case that uh, that's not nearly enough to reimagine Zach Granke. The thing about the BABIP thing, which, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's, particularly anybody who's qualified at the major league level, is going to continue to have a 353 BABIP, um, and Granke will get a lot better by doing nothing. But part of what we were being sold on Granke for the last few years is that he was this guy who had the ability to outpitch his FIP. He had done it four years in a row, and in particular last year, and he did it by such a, a margin that normally we would go, well, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. He, he'll never, you know, that's there's a lot of luck in that, but because Granky's cerebral and odd, and because it was so much fun to watch how good he was, there were, I think there were a lot of people who were arguing that, in fact, this is something he can do, that he's, he's weird, that he's, you know, partly it's that he's uh, he's thinking, and partly it's that he's discovered this trick of throwing a lot of pitches from the same tunnels, and they're of um, you know close enough velocity that you have a hard time picking up the differences out of his hand, but they're different enough that you're always off. And so Granky doesn't just need to have strikeouts and walks in order to be uh, in order to justify us buying into his Dodgers years. He also has to keep having low BABIPs. And uh, so there's, I don't know, I, I think there's maybe something a little extra damning about the fact that he's given up a ton of hits this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I think he's gotten worse, is that I think that some part of it really was an illusion, and that even 600 innings of a pretty cool magic trick uh, doesn't change the fact that there's still no real such thing as magic. It's just an illusion. Yeah. So would you get your money back on Zach Granke? I don't think I've seen enough. I don't know that I would have done that in the first place, but 
If I had, I don't think I'd have too much remorse right now. Okay. Justin Upton. I don't know what he right. did. I don't know what he did today, but... He did have three hits. Uh, However, he did strike out and didn't walk, which okay. All right, <laughs> adds so, to perhaps the so ratio he, that you will be mentioning in a moment. He entered the game on Sunday hitting 221, 242, 326. He had a negative war, and he did have black ink, which is that he leads the American League with 38 strikeouts, and he has walked only three times. Both of those rates are way above his norm, uh, his norms. He strikes out plenty, but he's not league leader type strikeout guy, and he's uh, always had perfectly acceptable plate discipline. Uh, and so both of these things uh, really stick out. He, uh, he he basically has the hitting line of the National League against Clayton Kershaw right <laughs> yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's bad. <laughs> yes. Now. I don't know, he's a guy who signed for less, right, than people were expecting? Yeah, still uh, six years and I think 133-ish million. Okay, so he, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, there's no real way to, uh, yeah, he had three hits, as you said, on Sunday, he had his second homer on Saturday, he had three hits on Friday, I'm asking you to make a decision about a guy based on 23 games, not three, I'm not... Mm-hmm. That irresponsible. So, so just looking at the output so far, are you getting your money back on Justin Upton? He was the name that came to mind when I was looking for one of the big free agent moves as a candidate for this discussion. It is really hard, obviously, to find a month that moves the needle that much with these moves. I mean, when you are committing to a player for several years and over $100 million, Obviously, you're doing that because the player has a long and impressive body of work, and there's no reason to think he's going to turn into a pumpkin immediately, and so it's really hard to do enough in a month to significantly change your mind about that. So he is, I guess, the closest of the big moves thus far for me, just because that is a pretty scary strikeout-to-walk ratio, 39-3, to and... You know, strikeouts and walks are something that tend to become significant more quickly than other stats. And so it would, you know, it's a little worrisome. I'm definitely more concerned than I would be if he had the same slash stats, but something closer to his normal strikeout to walk ratio. But it doesn't look like he's chasing a ton of terrible pitches or anything. I don't know why he would suddenly be bad. So it's still, it's tough. And, And the Tigers are... 14 and 10 they're in second place and that you know just the fact that they've had a pretty decent start kind of makes me like the move more because the whole idea was that they would get someone young and decent and try to contend right now while they still have enough talent around to do that and you know if they were off to say minnesota's start or something then you could say that they had already kind of squandered the prime year in their window that they were signing upton for but they haven't done that yet so I think even Upton doesn't rise to the level of wanting your money back, and it didn't seem like too much money to spend on Justin Upton at the time. So no, probably still okay with the Justin Upton contract. I uh, I'm okay with the Justin Upton contract. I think and uh, by a little bit, and I'm I would get my money back on Cranky by a little bit. I didn't give an answer uh-huh. on that. Okay, how about Howie Kendrick? Mm. Uh, Howie Kendrick has just it's been miserable man yeah he's hitting 151 182 
151. Yeah. Which is the same number as his batting average. Lost playing time, right, to the resurgent Chase Utley? He has lost playing time to the resurgent Chase Utley. He's not hit a ball for extra bases yet. He uh, is at minus 8.8 war. And, you know, there's he's a second baseman. There's always the talk about second baseman not aging well. Uh, his defensive metrics in particular have been in decline over recent years. Uh, but his bat has always been steady. Uh, and in fact, it, not only has his bat been steady, but it's been, at least in my anecdotal awareness of Howie Kendrick, it's steady year to year. It's never steady week to week, though. Like, he is a guy I think of as very streaky. This might be an old, this might be a wrong assessment of him, but he's a guy I think of as, as very streaky and uh, has has his months and has his down months. And at the end of the year, always puts it together. Uh, and over the last five years, OPS Plus is... Actually, I'll just, we'll just go last, his whole career. 108, 97, 104, 99. That's the first stage of his career, basically all in the same very tight range. And then the second stage of his career, beginning with his first All-Star appearance, 126, 104, 118, 116, 108. Very tight range right there. And then this year, uh, minus 8. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess the it's a combination of the performance, the teams uh, acting on it. it. It's always yeah. it's always relevant whether the team uh, makes a change and whether they're telling you that they believe it or whether they're hearing things from him or whether their coaches are seeing things in him or whether they know something about his health uh, or whether they're um, uh, or if they're content to ignore it and let him play his way out of it. And so if uh, it's a combination of him losing playing time, being this bad, and also playing a position where we're a little bit primed to see a decline like this uh, in the 30s. Yeah, well, this is kind of the opposite of the first moves we talked about in the show in that this seemed like a good contract. Like yep. Everyone liked this contract at the time it was signed. Right? He, he lingered forever because of qualifying offer issues, and then the Dodgers ended up snapping him up for two years and 20 million, which seemed like a really great deal to get Howie Kendrick on. So in that sense, this deal has, I guess, a a greater distance to go to make me want to annul it just because it seemed so reasonable at the time. Remind me what he missed time with last season? Uh, Hamstring, thigh. Right. And... He was he missed back. That was like August. And- it, it was August and September. Yeah, he came back at the very end of September and and was I think periodically day to day after that. But he missed a a little more than a month. And let's see, he hit fairly normal Howie Kendrick numbers when he came back. So he had a uh, he missed eighteen days at the start of this season with a calf injury that I believe I believe he suffered in spring training. I don't know whether that makes me more or less optimistic. I guess it's it fits the narrative of the second baseman who gets old all of a sudden and he's pulling muscles in his lower body left and right. And so I guess in that sense, it would make you more pessimistic, although maybe it makes you think that he wasn't fully recovered when he came back and that's why he wasn't hitting. So I don't know. I guess if we were applying the same standard that we did to the original moves and we're saying that no, they only thought he was worth $20 million in two years. I mean, I thought he would be worth more than that, but no one else was willing to pay that, at least with the qualifying offer, and that's what the Dodgers got him for. And so if we assume that that's what they valued him at, then maybe that is a pretty good case for uh, for why you wouldn't want to do that deal again. 
because it is only a two-year deal. And so if he screws up a, a month of a two-year deal, then that's a bigger percentage of the contract than if he were on a six-year deal or something. So he has already, you know, ruined a, a twelfth of the contract. So yeah, I mean, I guess combined with the concern about the muscle strain and the fact that he's already lost some playing time, which means that if Otley keeps playing well, then maybe they didn't even need him, and maybe he'd have to do something really special to earn his starting job back, then I, I guess he is a stronger case probably than Upton or Granke to me. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's look, it was a, it was a sweet deal at the time. And yeah. so I would still sign Howie Kendrick for two years and $20 million. Uh-huh. Uh, however, if I'm not giving them extra credit for me liking the deal at the time, uh, yeah. that's a, this, this seems like an easy one to kick to the curb. Yeah. Uh, he had, uh, wow. He, uh, he started the season with one for four, one for four, one for four, one for four. First four games of the year, he went one for four with a single in all four. And, uh, uh-huh. so I just used play index, impromptu play index to find the longest streak of one for four with no extra base hits. <laughs> and uh, I thought that he would be the longest going back to... Two- to start a season? Or? No, just at all. No. Uh-huh. Going back to 2000, I, w- I thought he would be the longest. And he's not. In fact, 18 players in that time have had at least five game string- streaks of going exactly one for four with no extra base hits. And uh-huh. and Mike Avilas in 2010, six games in a row, one for four. I wonder if he knew. I wonder if he was aware of that. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's quickly do two more um, that are different than this. One, the Orioles letting Dexter Fowler not sign mm. with them. Yeah. Um, Dexter Fowler's been tremendous for the Cubs. So he would have signed. Uh, the, the deal that was reported at the time was three years and I think $35 million. And what happened? I forget what happened. They Well, the deal was reported, but had never officially been agreed to and except it wasn't seemed like wasn't like didn't some like one didn't fowler say it or like a teammate or something adam jones i think yeah. intimated that he was going to sign this deal but he didn't sign the deal and the impression that he gave in his comments afterward was that the orioles were making him pay too much for the qualifying offer for the draft pick that they would lose if they were to sign him. They were penalizing him too much in his opinion or his agent's opinion, and so he walked away. All right, so now, so they, uh, who knows what, what happened, but uh, he is now hitting 347, 474, 613 going into Sunday. He led all of baseball with that on base percentage. He already has 1.5 war, um, which means that like by this time next month, he could already have a career high if he merely continues to play out of his mind for another month, which probably won't happen. Uh, <laughs> do you think that the Orioles are Vince velasquez right now, watching him and thinking every time he does something good, uh, they're dodging their owner's texts? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm less convinced that I mean, my opinion of Dexter Fowler has not changed the way that my opinion of Vince Velasquez has changed. I mean, Vince Velasquez has just looked so good and his stuff seems so good that he now seems totally viable as a front of the rotation starter in a way that he didn't necessarily this offseason. Whereas Dexter Fowler is, you know, probably still Dexter Fowler. I mean, he's 30 years old. He's been sort of the same guy for years now. The samest guy, like maybe the samest guy in all of baseball. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that he has a 430 BABIP or whatever it is to start the season doesn't really change my opinion about Dexter Fowler. I guess, you know, the fact that the Orioles are 
off to a pretty good start, stronger start than anyone expected. Maybe that makes them regret signing him more. I mean, I don't know if it depends on who who nixed that deal, who drove him away. Like if uh, Peter Angelos was all all for signing him and someone in the front office said not to, then I'd probably be ducking texts just because. But he has a 430 Babbitt might not work so well if you're texting your owner. But eh, it was it seemed silly at the time not to sign him. And so it seems even sillier now, but he's still the same Dexter Fowler, probably. I always duck texts, so <laughs> you don't have to walk that many times for me to duck texts. All right, last one, Ian Kennedy. Yeah. 2.77 ERA going into Sunday's start. He went five innings, allowed one run, struck out six in those five innings. He is basically... Like where he always is as far as walks and strikeouts. Uh, and he's given up some home runs, but he has generally pitched very well. He's been the best pitcher in Kansas City's rotation thus far. Uh, are you ready to admit that you were wrong? Still seems like an awful lot for Ian Kennedy, but it seems like a lot less than it did a month ago. Because the way that he's done it kind of reinforces if someone who was going to support that deal for Kansas City would have said or did say at the time that, you know, he gave up a ton of homers and he's moving to Kaufman, you know, not that not that Petco Park is a, a good place to hit homers, but he's moving to Kaufman and it's hard to hit homers there too. And the Royals have a great outfield and defense. And so his, uh, his tendency to give up home runs won't be as pronounced there. And the way that he has done it thus far, his home run rate is down to a reasonable level and he is sort of outperforming his FIP in a uh, kind of Chris Youngy way. So yeah, I mean, you kind of like, now that it's happening, you, you kind of start to want to lump it into that Royals category of moves that didn't seem like they would work out at the time, but then they got to the Royals and somehow defense and things magically made them work out. <laughs> so so yeah, but I mean, he hasn't really done anything that we wouldn't have expected him to do, right? Except that he has outperformed his FIP. His FIP is 3.89, which is more or less the same. Well, it's, you know, more or less the same as, I guess, his career FIP coming into this year. And uh, the fact that he has outperformed it maybe makes you think it's Royals defense or Kaufman or something. Yeah, a lot of the, everybody on the Royals is outperforming their FIP right now. In fact, they entered the day with a 4.17 team FIP, 3.51 ERA, and there's all sorts of guys actually. Like um, Jordana Ventura has struck out 22 and walked 20, and yet mm-hmm. he's having a pretty good year. And Chris Medlin has struck out 16 and walked 16, uh, and he's not having a pretty good year. But compared, to, I mean, he's having he has Shelby Miller's peripherals and has not has half of Shelby Miller's ERA and nobody's talking about Chris Medlin at all so there's that and uh Wade Davis has a strangely had a has had control problems and has a 2.82 FIP which normally his FIP is down where his ERA is around zero but it's 2.82 this year he hasn't allowed a run so yeah the Royals defense has been FIP breaking this year which isn't uh all that surprising so I guess if you could get your money back uh on betting against the Royals defense you would, but otherwise, no big change for Ian Kennedy. Yeah. All right. There's probably more that we could do, but the whole exercise is, is questionable. <laughs> well, all right. It's good that we acknowledge that after people are 50 minutes in. 
Can't get that time back now. No, no, uh, no time back guarantee on this podcast. <laughs> no. Okay, so that is it for today. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five heroic listeners who have done so, Jeff Reed, Chris Green, Matt Powell, James Santelli, and Rob Maines. Thank you. You can buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. It comes out tomorrow. If you are lucky enough to live near a bookseller that doesn't abide by on-sale dates, you might be able to buy it right now. But tomorrow is the big day, which means that this is your last chance to pre-order on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. We'd love to have a big first week, and you can help us do that by buying the book now if you plan to buy it at some point. Feedback has been very encouraging so far. And I hope you'll all like it. It is, of course, the story of how Sam and I took over the baseball operations department of an independent league team, the Sonoma Stompers, last summer and tried to do advanced baseball stat stuff while navigating the personalities that we encountered on the team. You can buy books autographed by both of us at stompersbaseball.com, but we will have a few events slash signings coming up in the next couple of weeks. You can find those on our website for the book. The only rule is it has to work.com. Or if you want to save a couple words, the only rule is.com. The first thing coming up is in Manhattan this Thursday at the corner bookstore at six o'clock. It's on the Upper East Side, and I will be there and hope to see many of you there as well. The website, by the way, has a ton of DVD extras for the book, photos and videos and stats. So I hope you'll all check it out after you read the book. There's video of every player and some of the pivotal moments from the season. So should be fun to go watch those after you read about them. You can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild, where I hope there will be a bunch of book discussion in the coming days. You can get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. And you can email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and by messaging us through Patreon. One last note, Sam and I will be on Hang Up and Listen, our favorite sports podcast later today. We'll be talking about the book, so if you haven't had enough of us today, you can find us there for a few more minutes. I will also be on MLB Now on MLB Network at approximately 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm hoping I'll be wearing a Stompers polo if the producer allows it. We will be back tomorrow, May 3rd, the day we've all been waiting for. The noise is coming out, and if it's not out now, then tomorrow, tomorrow, they took your life apart, and called you failures or they were wrong, though, they were wrong, though, till tomorrow.